Mackling and McNabb McGarry returns on Monday. A wild and woolly weather night in southern Manitoba and in particular north of Winnipeg, Loren. Yeah, where I was sitting last night, you could see when I wasn't sitting outside, I tried. It was so hot. The air was so still. And you could see these huge clouds blooming or growing, just gigantic north of Winnipeg. And then that alert went out for a tornado warning and, and storms in Selkirk. And then, of course, shortly afterwards, we saw social media reports of hail. Some of it looked like the size of like the media part, the meaty part of your hand, like just huge stuff and, and nothing. Not a thing. I was hoping we'd get some rain yesterday just to cut that air because if you didn't have the rain in that storm that they got north of Winnipeg, you were kind of wishing you'd have something to cool you off. I could hear the storm north of the city. I could see the clouds. I could even hear the thunder at different times around supper time last night, around 5, 5.30. But as you mentioned, the air was so heavy. It was so hot. It was really uncomfortable to be outside, period, dot. And then, uh, you know, you go inside and my my phone, I got the warning. Jeez, I should have looked at this before we came on the air. I think it was, I want to say it was about 5.27 yesterday when we got that warning. Uh, about the potential for tornado, uh, 5.48, pardon me, Central Daylight Time, Environment Canada issued a tornado warning for this mobile coverage area. So I'm in North Kildonan, and really the meat of that tornado warning and watch area was East St. Paul, St. Clements, uh, in that stretch uh, up towards Selkirk, and then that those warnings sort of moved to the east. It was just really uh, quite the evening, uh, depending on where you were in Manitoba. So if you've got some pictures or video that you can share with us, 204-780-6868, and several pictures on on social media of clouds that looked like they were trying to form into a tornado. There were some rotation uh, definitely spotted in uh, different areas. The water tower in Selkirk was even hit by lightning last night, Loren. I was uh, changing, exchanging emails with the city's mayor, the city of Selkirk, and that there's a sh- uh, there was a photo going around. He acknowledged of the water tower being hit in Selkirk, but says that there was no damage and there was lots of rain and hail and varying sizes, but they made it through. And so that you know when that that happens, you know you think about the odds of what else could go on. And so there's just a lot of people this morning. I don't know if there's much of a cleanup, but with the size of the hail, there might be some damage for folks. And and if you're a farmer or producer in that area, let us know if you saw anything on your crops because. There might have been some of that as well. Uh, we're going to get more with Environment Canada in about uh, six minutes' time. Fringe Festival continues a couple of weeks from now. Launch of Folklorama. I-, I hope there's air conditioning in all those venues. I know some of them don't, or at least they didn't in the past. That would have been a, a, a tough struggle to be lined up or performing in an unconditioned space last night if Folklorama was on the go. But last night, ballet in the park, it was so hot, so muggy. For the dancers, they had to pull the plug on the first night of ballet in the park. So it goes tomorrow and tonight at Assiniboine Park. Andre Lewis will join us just after 9 o'clock to tell us uh, all about ballet in the park. It's one of the rites of summer. So many people, thousands of people gather in Assiniboine Park for that. Just before our conversation with Andre Lewis, we have a very exciting concert announcement. We can't tell you about it until after 9 o'clock. So that's going to make our contest this morning a little bit more interesting, Loren, because people are going to be playing for tickets, and I don't even really know what they're going to be getting until about 9.05 this morning. 
It's a good one. It's one of those ones that had me thinking, I just booked vacation for the time that this concert's happening. And I thought, oh, this is one I would have gone. I would have, I think my kids would have gone. I mean, I don't know what else to say because I don't want to give it away. But <laughs> yes. it won't be for everyone, but it will be for almost everyone. We'll take a peek at your forecast and we'll look back at what happened in our area with an Environment Canada update in just a few moments time. It is the start. I'm Greg. She's Loren. Thanks for spending some time with us on this lovely Thursday morning. Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb, it is the start. It's Thursday morning, and last night, Loren, Ballet in the Park was supposed to kick off its three-night run at Assiniboine Park, but they had to cancel things because of the heat, because of the humidity, and so uh, that event is now going to be two nights instead of three. Andre Lewis of the Royal Winnipeg Ballet. Their artistic director will join us after 9.05 to tell us about ballet in the park, what they're performing, and just what a popular event this is. But obviously, when that cancellation notice went out last night, thousands of people were probably heading towards the Cinewine Park, had this circled on their calendars, and would have been very disappointed. Yeah, and that's the hard part about cancellations. Like when they come, and they come for good reasons. Same with, you know, you might be on your way to even just something simple like a trip to the beach or I went out, tried to tube at Pinawa a few months ago with my kid and you get out there and they're like, sorry, thunderstorms in the sky, we can't do this. And so he, I get it, it was hot. It would have been hard to sit outside last night and it, but it would have been really hard for the dancers. But it leads us to our conversation this morning about Things that you were excited to go do, maybe trips you were going to have, maybe it was a concert, maybe it was a ballet in the park like last night and it got cancelled for weather or other. Tell us your story. Sarah McCarthy, let's start with you. Yeah, so this was back when I was probably in grade eight and we were taking a week-long trip to Orlando, Florida, doing a couple days at Disney, a couple days at Universal, and then just one day at SeaWorld. And that one day we had planned out for SeaWorld, a tropical storm moved through and it is hot. It is. We had the, the tarps on like for the rain and those just stick to you. It is gross. And then uh, I think we just got the morning there at the park before we had to go because they shut down all the rides. They canceled all the performances. But so that was a little disappointing for grade eight, Sarah. But uh, oh boy, we got the Disney. World. Yeah, we got the Disney days in and the Universal days in. But yeah. So there you go. How about you, Jeff Forche? Uh, you ever been disappointed uh, having to pull the plug yourself or, or somebody else pulling it for you? Well, the, the big one for me re- well, recently was, uh, of course, when the Foo Fighters had to cancel their concert because of the passing of Taylor Hawkins. And I've never seen them live, so I was really choked about that. Mm-hmm. But uh, <clears throat> there's one time where I had some friends. They were a couple. They were going to have some people over, having a party, a little party, nothing too big. But then last minute, they canceled, and they're like, well, uh, we're kind of having a bit of a fight. Well, they, they end up breaking up. Oh. And so a, a few of us were just like, well, wings, anyone? <laughs> so we ended up going to a bar and having some wings, but uh, it was just, it was such last minute, and we were all kind of shocked at uh, what happened, so. Yeah. Awkward. No We made other kidding. plans. Tyson and Wiki. Well, last December, I had a couple couple days off and then they weren't really planned vacation days but i had a string of three days so i was like you know, you know what i'm gonna 
I'm going to go to Toronto and I'm going to see, I have some friends there and thought I'd visit them. But the main reason I actually went to Toronto was that the Lakers were playing the Raptors and LeBron is my favorite athlete of all time. I absolutely love LeBron. And so I wanted, I wanted to see a game of his for a while before he retires. And so we're there in Toronto. We're having, we're having some food before the game starts and it's like an hour before tip off and look on Twitter, see notification. LeBron James is out for tonight's oh. game against the Raptors with a lower body injury and just sitting there. And then the late, like the Lakers lineup was so terrible that game too. It is just, you're sitting there and it's, it was fun, but it's, you're just thinking like, oh man, I could have seen LeBron. And now, now I'm watching <laughs> Austin Reeves put up 15. It was, it was, it was very disappointing. No kidding. And did you pay the ticket price? Like LeBron was going to be in the lineup? No, it, the tickets were actually pretty reasonable. So that wasn't, it wasn't the worst dent in the bank account, but still it was, I was, I was very choked. Yeah. I, I, I once paid a hundred dollars to not see Michael Jordan play oh, in no. Minnesota, a trip, a bus trip that I had to pull out of at the last minute uh, for a couple of different reasons. Loren, what about you? Well, the ballet in the park with the heat had me thinking about the time. And, and this is, it wasn't that I was disappointed here. It's just that, oh, this would have been 2004, I think 2005. My sister and I had planned a trip to Thailand and Cambodia. And uh, I was just starting with Global National, just my first year with them, Global National Television. And, and there was a, an election. They were talking about a federal election looming. And I was new and eager. And so I said, you know what? I can push this trip back if you want. And I can stick around and be here for election coverage. And so they agreed that was a good idea. We eventually got on our trip, but what we ended up doing is pushing the trip back into like rainy, monsoon, humid, heat season without any research and landed in Thailand where literally every picture of me there to this day has me laughing so hard because I am just a sweaty mess. Like the t-shirts, like you can see lines in my shirt from just not, I'm not walking. Like I just woke up in the morning and would be sweating. And then you go down to the beach and you'd be sweating. And then when we got back, everyone made so much fun of us. They're like, nobody goes to Thailand at this time of year. What were you guys thinking? And so it wasn't that it got canceled. It just that the whole vacation vibe changed as a result. Like I, I, at one point on a bus ride into Cambodia, thought if like, if this day ends with me no longer here, I think I'd choose that. That's how hot I am. I, just, I need this day to be over. Yeah. Uh, mine would be uh, in 2001, my brother and I embarked on a little bit of a baseball stadium journey. We, the road trip of a lifetime, we called it. We Our intention was to go to all 30 ballparks over the course of the summer. Wow. We had to cut that short for a couple of different reasons. The game we went to in San Diego now, the San Diego Padres now play in Petco Park. They've been there uh, since 2006. They've had three games since 2006 rained out or canceled because of weather. And in their old stadium, Qualcomm Stadium, was around the same, uh, something every six, seven, eight years. A transformer blew up in the third inning as they were firing on the lights because it was a night game and they had to pull the plug on the game. So we saw exactly three innings of a game in San Diego and had to listen to the, the follow up the next day sitting in Dodger Stadium watching the Brewers and the Dodgers. So that was uh, extremely disappointing.
Mackling McNabb, McGarry returns on Monday. Jeff Forche and Master Control. We're talking about crime in just 60 seconds time here with community activist Cell Burroughs. But, Loren, we're also discussing sleep this morning. We're going to have a larger conversation with an expert later on this morning. We were talking about uh, uh, King of Queens. Mike says, I'm not sure if you've seen it or not, but the Dick Van Dyke show, all five seasons, Dick Van Dyke and his wife, played by Mary Tyler Moore, slept in separate beds in the same room. Yeah, and we're talking about, do you sleep in separate beds? Maybe you sleep in separate rooms. We want honest answers, and we're getting this morning lots of honest answers from listeners like Shauna who say, my husband worked shift work, so we were sleep divorced because of it. I'm a super light sleeper, so it just didn't work. We are still sleep divorced and are both better for it. It's been about eight years We also talk about having two master bedrooms. That would be amazing. Yeah, the sleep divorce doesn't mean your marriage is on the rocks, just means you're looking for a better sleep. Does it work? We'll get more into that at 9.35 with our sleep expert. Over the past few months, there have been all sorts of announcements from the provincial conservative government on different strategies to combat crime as we start this hour, Loren. Yeah, so of course in the spring with their budget, they talked about releasing a violent crime strategy and then we've seen announcements on a crime gun lab. Federally, there have been changes to the bail system. But we want to know if you feel that the response you've seen from you know government officials, from police, from justice, has it felt like everyone is treating this as an emergency? Our next guest says no, particularly when it comes to youth crime because we have teens using machetes, bear spray, knives and more to not just rob and steal, but to maim. And we know to even murder. We're joined now by decades-long community activist, Sal Burroughs. Good morning, Sal. Good morning. What a beautiful day outside. It's shaping up to be a good one, but I, I know you've been advocating hard for change, and you know you put out this bulletin yesterday talking about emergency response. How, how, why doesn't it feel like it's being treated that way? Or, or perhaps I should phrase this differently. Why do you feel it deserves an emergency response? Well, I guess I've been around a long time and uh, I've dealt with kids. I've been an inner city youth worker and, um, you know, we've had some pretty tough kids doing some rough stuff, but I've never seen the number of murders, the numbers of maimings. You know, a kid had his face uh, almost cut open by a machete a couple of days ago. And then a woman defending her daughter got uh, cut by a machete in Elmwood yesterday. Um, the number of what we call ganglets, gatherings of youth uh, kids uh, with weapons, I, I've never seen it before. And I guess what's really bothering me is I don't see people getting particularly upset. If our children are causing crimes when they're 13, 12, 15, what's going to be happening when they grow up? What are we doing about it now? I think uh, when we respond to... Uh, Uh, the thefts in the liquor stores with a major change to how things work. We need to change how we work with young people. So we've got a few ideas, but yeah, I want to get those ideas from you as well. And some of the concerns you have, but Loren, you can correct me on the timeline if you, if you need to, but I want to say five, six years ago, we started talking about meth. We started talking about opioids and a crisis in our community with regard to street drugs and the problems that it was causing with crime, with homelessness, with with uh, other issues in our community. And our leaders seem to be hesitant to use the words emergency or crisis. And I'm sensing the same thing here. Would you agree? Absolutely. And, 
you know, Marion Willis, who is probably the best expert on homelessness we have, uh, will tell you we don't have a homeless or a crime crisis. We have a crisis. We have a drug crisis, an addictions crisis. I mean, just the other day in Point Douglas, one of our activists spotted a car theft ring, and three hours after we turned in the VIN number, um, the four police cars and two tow trucks showed up and recovered three stolen cars. That same house is, is dealing drugs, and it's now been probably a month since we reported it, and there were 135 customers there yesterday. And, uh, you know, we uh, the American War on Drugs was a failure, but we need to disrupt the drug dealers. But back to the youth, uh, while the, the opioids and the drugs have some impact on that, there's a different... There's a different something happening with these kids. and uh, Can you I put your finger them. on it, Sal? Like, do you have a sense of what it is? What is the well, thing that's getting us here? Well, the big thing is that uh, we've had three conservative mayors, the new mayors and conservatives as well, and they've used austerity in the inner city because they can get away with it. Uh, Pallister got caught with austerity and people got upset because it was affecting everybody. But what do you, you mean by the, the austerity in the inner city cells? Apologies well, for interrupting. Closed, you closed the hockey rink at uh, Tommy Prince area five years ago. Nobody got upset. The rink with the sa- the same age in River Heights is still carrying on. Uh, there is almost no recreation going on in most of our community centers. There's a few individuals. You need things for kids to do, and there's nothing, almost nothing left for them to do positive in the inner city. And I keep talking about my my rugby team when I was a rec director, of course, a few years ago, but I got, uh, as a professional rec director employed by the city in urban renewal area too, I was able to get student practicums. Dennis Kane, if you're out there, it's a long time ago, he came in. And he played rugby, so my kids played rugby, and they were running up for the city championships. These kids who are committing these crimes, killing people, maiming people, uh, they would be playing, if they lived in a normal uh, middle-class neighborhood, they'd be playing sports. That's one area. The other area is the social social agencies, which you all know I worked in social agencies uh, you know, for many, many years. Um, they've accepted that the kids are carrying knives. They are not calling the police when they have uh, kids hanging around with knives that are uh, threatening other kids. Um, there's been a dislocate between uh, what the, the agencies accept as normal. Now, other age, some, most agencies, of course, are saying, no, can't, you can't bring knives into, my, uh, into your program. Or you, there's not a, a box to leave your knife in when you come in and pick it up again on the way out. Uh, that's... that's normalizing the negative, which I say is one of the biggest problems. Sal, we have like 30 seconds here. One, you know, we can talk about the prevention. We can talk about the reaction to the crime, but also the consequences. And you highlight the fact that one of the places where, um, you know, our youth used to be sent to face those consequences no longer exists. Yes. Agassiz Center for Youth used to have a hundred kids in it. That's for the, that's for the real Hardcore kids with serious problems. Uh, it had an excellent school. You know, I'm. I see a situation like that as a last, a last gasp when we haven't got other s- solutions. That was closed by Pallister uh, as it, an austerity it, measure. 
Was it not replaced with the gone. youth center cell though? Like there is no, the Manitoba no. youth center. I thought the they were Manitoba supposed to go youth to the Manitoba youth center. The Manitoba youth center used to be full and yeah. now it's half empty. It's empty as well. They've replaced it with private nonprofit group homes and the group homes talking to some of the owners, they can't find staff to work there. People who got paid to work at Agassiz and the youth center get paid decent wages. Now we have uh, these group homes um, with understaffed. Uh, one comment, one owner said to me, uh, hey, the kids supervise themselves. I can't find anybody to work there. Uh, so we've got, we've got situations where kids with serious emotional problems, serious group problems, which we have to recognize. Uh, if you get a leader amongst a bunch of kids who want to do bad stuff, you saw what happened outside the uh, Canada Life Center, you know, got into an argument. Next thing you know, 12-year-old is charged with uh, manslaughter for knifing a, a kid protecting his sister. It is time for our small town salute. And today's trip outside the perimeter highway probably isn't what you'd think or expect We'd be talking about July 27th. Yesterday, the province announced that it was ensuring more of us would be able to enjoy something that came into vogue last winter, McNabb. Yeah, the Manitoba government says it's expanding a program that allows commercial tourism outfits, outfitters the opportunity to create unique overnight accommodations on ice for anglers and eco-tourists. So to fill us in on the details, we're joined now by Carly Butlin. Now, I don't know, is this Canuck Outfitters? joining us now it's just spelt differently uh, am i saying that right carly yep that's right Canuck. so canuck outfit fitters so this began last winter tell us what you were doing last winter how popular was it walk us through what would have happened if i signed up for a night with you yeah for sure so yeah last winter we were given the opportunity along with a couple other guys on the lake to uh have uh, people stay in our uh, ice castles and our ice chefs uh all night so Basically, you would come in in the afternoon and stay until uh, the next morning or however long you wanted your trip to be. And yeah, it was it was a really cool experience for people to fish uh, all throughout the night. So, Carly, tell me, I know from other people that you know the the lake lives underneath that ice. It creaks, it moves, it shifts. It must do that overnight as well. It doesn't stop just because you want to sleep. What was that experience no, yeah. like? Yeah, it definitely, uh, it does scare people sometimes when it cracks, but it's, it's very safe because the ice is so thick, but it is, it is a scary concept. So was this something that you could keep up to the demand? Give us an idea of how popular it was. Yeah, so we ran uh, two overnight shocks and we were, we were really busy with um, both of the shocks. So it's, uh, it's just getting busier and it, uh, it should be a good, good new year coming up. What are you hearing from people in terms of the draw? Because I'm, I'm going to put up my hand and say, I think I've only tried ice fishing maybe one or two times. And I, and I love the idea of just getting out there with the group. Like I see you offer corporate events and you can get out there in a really like kitted out shack. It's, it's pretty tremendous. And you can even take people out on the ice with your snowmobiles and whatnot. What, what are you hearing from people as to why they want to partake in something like this? Well, a lot of people want to get, uh, just they come in from out of town or, um, out of the country and so they want a place to stay that's right on the ice but also uh, it's a good opportunity for people uh, to bring their wives and their kids out 
to experience something um, that they would have never thought of doing. So it's it's good for all aspects of ice fishing. Canuckoutdoors.com, K-A-N-N-U-K, outdoors.com. The video is spectacular. What do you do during the summer, Carly? <laughs> well, uh, we are uh, guiding up in uh, Saskatchewan and Ontario um, for the summer, so do some more fishing. It's fishing all, all year round for us. All right. How soon should people uh, get online and uh, book and book their overnight experience for this upcoming winter? They can uh, message us anytime. Our books are, are open for next year. So, yeah, connect out, outdoors. And, uh, yeah, we look forward to hearing from people. All right. I just want to point out quickly, these are not shacks that you might be thinking of. Uh-uh. I think the one I'm looking at has a fireplace, couches with cup holders. Leather couches. Leather couches. <laughs> there's the beds. And then, of course, they have the holes of the floor of the shack that you would then just put your fishing rod in so it is luxury it's like glamping but for ice fishing carly this is tremendous thank you you're welcome no problem carly butlin canuck outfitters k-a-n-n-u-k check it out it might be something you want to do also this morning send us the text message at 204-780-68 that tells us what's going on in your community this weekend one of our listeners liz told us early this morning by the way remind your listeners boardwalk days takes place this weekend up in winnipeg beach i know there are dozens of events happening outside the perimeter highway this weekend let us know your favorite ones what you are up to and uh, the ones that we can give a shout out to 204-780-6868 is where we go in our next segment someone in our community commentary about youth crime what we can do to prevent it and make it less prevalent 745 it's the start mackling mcnab mcgarry returns monday one of the hottest movies right now the tremendous box office success of the movie oppenheimer over $100 million in ticket sales as of yesterday, has come a renewed fascination with the story behind the Manhattan Project and the brilliant individuals who leader Robert Oppenheimer recruited to be part of it. If the Nazis have a bomb. We have a 12-month head start. 18. How could you possibly know that? We've got one hope. All America's industrial might and scientific innovation connected here. Secret laboratory. Keep everyone there until it's done. Let's go recruit some scientists. So that's, of course, a section of the movie. I'm going to read a section from the Los Angeles Times that came Boxing Day 1999. I was one of the writers and associate producers on the documentary film Tickling the Dragon's Tail, the story of Louis Slotin, which ran on Global TV in Canada earlier this year. The film was nominated for a Gemini Award. Hopefully our film will be shown on U.S. TV someday so that American viewers will be able to obtain a clearer view of this brave, pioneering and thoughtful Canadian-born and raised scientist, one who was very highly regarded by his colleagues at Los Alamos during the Manhattan Project. There was also a 1955 novel based on Slotin, The Accident as well as two earlier plays, one of which was written for radio performance. Among his many talents, journalist, writer, producer, and author of that letter to the editor, Martin Zielig joins us now to tell us more about Winnipeg-born and educated scientist Louis Sloten. Good morning, Martin. Thanks for making time for us today. 
You're very, very welcome, Greg, anytime. And I'm very pleased that um, you um, have um, sparked interest in uh, Louis Sloton and uh, um, his uh, achievements and, and his role in um, building the first atomic bomb at um, Los Alamos in uh, the Manhattan Project. I haven't seen the movie yet, by the way, Oppenheimer, um, but I'm looking forward to seeing it at some point. And if I may, uh, since I'm on a roll, the reason I first began investigating or the reason that led me to research uh, Louis Sloton's life was um, a similar movie that came out in the late 80s called Fat Man and Little Boy, also about the uh, Manhattan Project, uh, starring Paul Newman as uh, as Leslie Groves, the role I believe, uh, no, the role I know that uh, Matt Damon plays in um, in Oppenheimer. And it was that movie that I saw that said that led me to begin my research uh, that led to the article that I initially wrote for The Beaver and then subsequently the uh, documentary film Ticking the Dragon's Tale, the story of Louis Sloton that I that I worked on with uh, some very talented people. Well, Martin, we're going to play a clip from that movie. I actually watched it over the last couple of days. and oh, and and in, and And so Fat Man and Little Boy starring Paul Newman and John Cusack. And Cusack plays, in fact, you know what? Let's do this a little bit out of order. Sure. Cusack plays a character named Michael Merriman. Right. Behind the wall. This is a very dramatic part of the film. So Cusack's character is based on Louis Sloton? You know, I'm so glad, really I am, that you played that clip um, because, Greg, that was the moment in the movie Fat Man and Little Boy that my two little brain cells suddenly clicked and I says, no, no. That's not entirely right. And I know, of course, movies, dramatic license and the director's choice and you, you know, all that stuff. But I said, no, I've got to tell the story about Louis Sloton, the character that John Cusack, a very, very wonderful actor, uh, portrayed in uh, Fat Man and Little Boy. And that is the truth. That's exactly. I remember I was with some people I know at the movie and afterwards I they, they must have thought I was. Uh, delirious or something. I said, no, 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 no. And they looked and I still remember, uh, I said, uh, I know the story and that, that's a Winnipegger, Louis Sloton. And there's a backstory to that. If I may digress, and I, and I hope I'm not taking up too much of your time and, and, and you know, uh, spoiling the questions you may have ready for me, but um, I knew about Louis Sloton for many, many years before that, ever since I was a kid. And I'll leave it at that. And if you want to pursue that uh, line of, of discussion, I'd be happy to uh, to go into it. <laughs> I'd like to hear more on that. I, I just, before we do, just what was Sloton's role in the Manhattan Project? I, I'm sorry, say, say that again. What was Louis's role in the in Manhattan Project? Like, what was he? What was he tasked to do? 
Yeah. Uh, well, Louis was was um, was. L- l- let me just make it succinct. Um, he, he had a title that I came across in my research, and you would probably find if if you search for it, called the Chief Armorer in the in the Manhattan Project, and that's because of his role in um, uh, assembling the uh, gadget, the, the, the device that uh, allowed that first bomb, the Trinity bomb, which I believe is portrayed in the movie Oppenheimer, the one that was tested in the desert at uh, Alamogordo um, in, uh, on July 16th, 1945. So he was involved very specifically, technically, in assembling that inner mechanism of the um, of the first atomic bomb, and that eventually led uh, resulted in um, his uh, his death in um, uh, May 1946 after the war. Um, so, and what's interesting, if, if you don't mind me saying, um, is that. Uh, Louis Sloton, for instance, in John Rhodes' monumental work, The Making of the Atomic Bomb, for which he uh, won the uh, the Pulitzer Prize, I believe, if memory serves me correctly, Louis Sloton isn't even mentioned in that book. He's mentioned in some other books, like uh, Robert Yunk's um, Brighter Than a Thousand Suns, um, uh, for a very specific reason, um, not necessarily related directly to the Manhattan Project, but nevertheless. um, So he was one of many, many hundreds of um, brilliant minds that were working to um, make the uh, first atomic bomb. Um, And I decided that, you know, a native Winnipegger, he deserved a little bit more recognition. And that's one of the, again, that leads back to what I was telling Greg initially about my my decision to start researching his life. There's so much to tell. We've just scratched the surface. And unfortunately, Martin, we've run out of time here. We're going to have uh-huh. to let you run. But let's do this again. And we'll talk a little bit more about uh, Sloton's uh, history in Winnipeg. This isn't like a, a situation where Sloton was born in Winnipeg and moved somewhere else when he was, uh, you know, nine days old. He was a Winnipegger. There's a yes. park in Winnipeg on Scotia Street named for him. Yes. So there's much yes. more to this story, Martin. Yes, there is, there, there, there is much more, Greg, and, and, and I'm sorry I went on all those uh, diversions, but uh, I would be more than happy to, uh, very happy to, uh, to discuss with you uh, more about Louis Sloton, and I'm very, very pleased that you're doing this, Greg. Uh, I, I think it's uh, very important to talk about people like that who came from our city, from the north end of Winnipeg, and who went on to much greater uh, renowned uh, in the world of science. Well, you did your fair share of the same thing, my friend. Martin Zelig joining us. We're talking about Winnipegger Louis Sloton. If you see the Oppenheimer Project, uh, he might be in there as a character. I haven't seen it yet, but if they don't use his name, trust me, he's uh, playing a key role. 848, we have to take a pause. We'll come back. More conversation on the start when we return. All right, we've had some guesses coming at 204-780-6868. We do have a major concert announcement for you this morning. In fact, 
right now. Canada Life Senator, <laughs> Senator, let's do that again. Canada Life Center, Thursday, November 16th, 2023. Loren, who is coming to Winnipeg? Oh, just a few months' time, you can see the Jonas Brothers. I'm a sucker for you. Of course, Jonas Brothers. Pre-sale runs August 3rd. You need to verify your Ticketmaster account beginning right now. So that verification process goes through until this Monday, July 31st at 9 p.m. Then ticket buyers will receive a code so they can purchase pre-sale tickets Thursday, August 3rd at 10 a.m. And then tickets go on sale to the general public Friday, August 4th at 10 a.m. via Ticketmaster. And Loren, you said it. This might not be the concert of the century or the decade for you, but it might be for your grandchild, your child, or your siblings. Uh, you're gonna if you're gonna want to win these tickets just to give them away because again, you can get that pre-sale option now for the Jonas Brothers Thursday, November sixteenth, Canada Life Center. But we've got a pair to give away, Greg. Yeah, so those are the tickets that you have been playing for this morning. So regale us with your stories of things that have been cancelled, things you've missed out on out of either weather, bad planning. Uh, We have a text message here that's in the running about missing a concert in Toronto because, oh, I booked the plane tickets for the wrong weekend. Yes, share your stories with us to see your chance to see the Jonas Brothers coming to Winnipeg Thursday, November 16th. That's barely a week after Bruce Springsteen comes here. So a pretty big month of concerts in November. Speaking of concerts, speaking of performances, joining us now, the artistic director and CEO of Canada's Royal Winnipeg Ballet, Andre Lewis. Andre, thanks for taking some time with us this morning. Hello. So sorry to hear that night one of the one of the best parts of summer ballet in the park park was canceled last night. Just too hot. It was just simply too hot. It was well above uh, the temperature that where we can function uh, safely. Yeah, it's hard for your dancers. I would I would think your performers in that heat, that alone, let alone the impact on the stage and just the environment around them, Andre. And and also for the the audience to be uh, safely sitting for mm-hmm. an hour and a half at uh, over thirty two degrees. So what are the logistics behind the show going into it to, in terms of you know the hope to have it tonight and tomorrow and and how many people are involved in getting this up and open and in in this amazing outdoor space? Well, we we all we have approximately sixty people backstage uh, between the dancers, the staff, and the uh, volunteers to make sure that everything is safe but uh we're pretty confident that tonight will and tomorrow will happen so if you wanted to come yesterday but uh couldn't make it come tonight i mean usually we have lots of people coming to this is an event that's been happening for over 50 years and it's it's certainly a tradition in winnipeg and we want to make sure but at the same time we want people to be safe you know heat strokes is is a reality and we want to be uh thoughtful and mindful of that yeah no doubt about that and and just talk about the venue obviously assiniboine park one of the most beautiful places in all our province but that lyric theater and that setting in front of the pavilion it's so picturesque but what about the fun- functionality of that stage and that construction of it Andre several you know I guess almost 20 years ago now it's been a fixture at the park but it's a little bit of a game changer isn't it 
It certainly has been. So it, it sort of gives us the opportunity to present a performance at a certain level. So as I think it came through the uh, Asper family, and uh, it's 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 been a, a blessing. What's the response been over the years to just have, you know, from the crowds? Because I think this is the kind of event that you might be someone that says, I don't know if I get ballet or I'm into ballet. And then you go to this special place and you change minds. Uh, the response has always, I've never heard of a negative response. <laughs> but I mean, people have been so, I mean, yesterday it was very disappointing because lots of people had to say, well, we we just can't do it tonight. And everybody understood that, but... Uh, the, the response has been very positive and and you know it's a way for us to introduce also what we're doing this season because we're doing a, a Canadian premiere of Snow White, we're doing Nutcracker we're doing Romeo and Juliet we're doing Carmina Burana and a new uh, creation by Cameron Fraser Munro for uh, our Winnipeg 4 show so it, um, yeah it, uh, uh, Ballina Park is a great place I've done it for since I joined the company in 1979, and uh, and I've watched it since 1975. <laughs> That's a, like you say, such an incredible summer tradition. We'll get the, the details on tonight and tomorrow night's show in just a moment from you, Andre. But I introduced you as the as the CEO and artistic director of Canada's Royal Winnipeg Ballet. We often think about the Jets putting us on the map, but just talk about the impact that the Royal Winnipeg Ballet has had on marketing Winnipeg, on getting Winnipeg's name out, not only across Canada, but around the world. Absolutely. And because we we are a touring organization, so we've been to over 600 cities in our uh, in our history. So uh, obviously we bring the name of Royal Winnipeg Ballet, so Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, to countless uh, uh, cities uh, and countries around the world. So we are ambassadors for Canada, uh, for Winnipeg and for Manitoba, and we're, and we're so proud of that. Yeah, well, we know that uh, that you've announced that, that your time is uh, soon up with the ballet, but we're going to use you and abuse you. <laughs> for as many interviews as we can in the meantime, Andre, because we absolutely love speaking with you. So what can folks expect tonight? Uh, give us some times and, and once again, hammer on that location. Well, we, we have a combination of, uh, of show or ballets from our professional division, recreational division and company, as we have done for countless years. Uh, we have a great set of shows uh for uh for people to come and see and 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 view uh live dancing which is absolutely great what times it start start at seven thirty, and it's going to be tonight and tomorrow night lyric theater assiniboine park you know where it is just follow the pavilion follow the sound of the music you can park on you know you can park on portage avenue walk across Find parking in the park or, or take the bus, ride your bike. Lots of ways to get to uh, the beautiful, the irreplaceable Assiniboine Park. Andre Lewis, thank you for this as always. It's a pleasure. 914. Once again, Jonas Brothers coming to Winnipeg. That's the concert announcement we had for you just a few minutes ago. Tickets go on sale via Ticketmaster. 
Thursday, August 3rd, but you do have to go to Ticketmaster, verify your account. In the meantime, you have until 9 p.m. Monday to do that, and then you can get in on the early sales next Thursday at 10 a.m. Tickets officially on sale August 4th at 10 a.m. And if you don't believe me, this is a big deal. If you've got if you've got kids ranging from the age of about 15 to to 30, this is a big deal. Big show coming to Winnipeg. All right, we've had some guesses coming at 204-780-6868. We do have a major concert announcement for you this morning. In fact, right now, Canada Life Senator. (laughs) Senator, let's do that again. Canada Life Center, Thursday, November 16th, 2023. Loren, who is coming to Winnipeg? Oh, just a few months' time, you can see the Jonas Brothers. I'm a sucker for you. Of course, Jonas Brothers. Pre-sale runs August 3rd. You need to verify your Ticketmaster account beginning right now. So that verification process goes through until this Monday, July 31st at 9 p.m. Then ticket buyers will receive a code so they can purchase pre-sale tickets Thursday, August 3rd at 10 a.m. And then tickets go on sale to the general public Friday, August 4th at 10 a.m. via Ticketmaster. And Loren, you said it. This might not be the concert of the century or the decade for you, but it might be for your grandchild, your child, or your siblings. Uh, you're gonna if you're gonna want to win these tickets just to give them away because again, you can get that pre-sale option now for the Jonas Brothers again, Thursday, November sixteenth, Canada Life Center. But we've got a pair to give away, Greg. Yeah, so those are the tickets that you have been playing for this morning. So regale us with your stories of things that have been canceled, things you've missed out on out of either weather, bad planning. Uh, We have a text message here that's in the running about missing a concert in Toronto because, oh, I booked the plane tickets for the wrong weekend. Yes, share your stories with us to see your chance to see the Jonas Brothers coming to Winnipeg Thursday, November 16th. That's barely a week after Bruce Springsteen comes here. So a pretty big month of concerts in November. Speaking of concerts, speaking of performances, joining us now, the Artistic Director and CEO of Canada's Royal Winnipeg Ballet, Andre Lewis. Andre, thanks for taking some time with us this morning. Hello. So sorry to hear that night one of the one of the best parts of summer ballet in the park park was canceled last night. Just too hot. It was just simply too hot. It was well above uh, the temperature that where we can function uh, safely. Yeah, it's hard for your dancers. I would I would think your performers in that heat, that alone, let alone the impact on the stage and just the environment around them, Andre. And and also for the the audience to be uh, safely sitting for mm-hmm. an hour and a half at uh, over thirty two degrees. So, what are the logistics behind the show going into it to, in terms of you know the hope to have it tonight and tomorrow and and how many people are involved in getting this up and open and in in this amazing outdoor space? 
Well, we we all we have approximately sixty people backstage uh, between the dancers, the staff, and the uh, volunteers to make sure that everything is safe. But uh, we're pretty confident that tonight will and tomorrow will happen. So if you wanted to come yesterday but uh, couldn't make it, come tonight. I mean, usually we have lots of people coming. To, this is an event that's been happening for over 50 years, and it's it's certainly a tradition in Winnipeg, and we want to make sure. But at the same time, we want people to be safe. You know, heat strokes is, is a reality, and we want to be uh, thoughtful and mindful of that. Yeah, no doubt about that. And and just talk about the venue. Obviously, Assiniboine Park, one of the most beautiful places in all our province, but that lyric theater and that setting in front of the pavilion, it's so picturesque, but what about the fun- functionality of that stage and that construction of it, Andre, several, you know, I guess almost 20 years ago now, it's been a fixture at the park, but it's a little bit of a game changer, isn't it? It certainly has been. So it, it sort of give us the opportunity to present a performance at a certain level. So uh, I think it came through the uh, Asper family and uh, it's, uh, it's, it's been a, a blessing. What's the response been over the years to just have, you know, from the crowds? Because I think this is the kind of event that you might be someone that says, I don't know if I get ballet or I'm into ballet. And then you go to this special place and you change minds. Uh, the response has always, I've never heard of a negative response to it. I mean, people has been so, I mean, yesterday it was very disappointing because lots of people had to say, well, we we just can't do it tonight. And everybody understood that, but uh, the the response has been very positive. And, and, you know, it's a way for us to introduce also what we're doing this season because we're doing a, a Canadian premiere of Snow White. We're doing Nutcracker. We're doing Romeo and Juliet. We're doing Carmina Burana and a new a uh, creation by Cameron Fraser Munro for uh, our Winnipeg Four show. So, uh, um, yeah, uh, uh, Ballet in the Park is a great place. I've done it for since I joined the company in 1979, and, uh, mm. and I've watched it since 1975. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, like you say, such an incredible summer tradition. We'll get the, the details on tonight and tomorrow night's show in just a moment from you, Andre. But I introduced... You as the as the CEO and artistic director of Canada's Royal Winnipeg Ballet, we often think about the Jets putting us on the map, but just talk about the impact that the Royal Winnipeg Ballet has had on marketing Winnipeg, on getting Winnipeg's name out, not only across Canada, but around the world. Absolutely. And because we, we are a touring organization, so we've been to over 600 cities in our uh, in our history so uh, obviously we bring the name of royal winnipeg ballet so winnipeg manitoba canada to countless uh, uh cities uh, and countries around the world so we are ambassadors for canada's uh, for winnipeg and for manitoba and we're, and we're so proud of that yeah, well, we know that uh, that you've announced that, that your time is uh, soon up with the ballet, but we're going to use you and abuse you for as many <laughs> interviews as we can in the meantime, Andre, because we absolutely love speaking with you. So what can folks expect tonight? Uh, give us some times and, and once again, hammer on that location. Well, we, we have a combination of uh, 
of show or ballets from our professional division, recreational division, and company, as we have done for countless years. Uh, we have a great set of shows uh, for uh, for people to come and see and 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 view uh, live dancing, which is absolutely great. What times it start? Start at seven thirty, and it's going to be tonight and tomorrow night. Lyric Theater, Assiniboine Park. You know where it is. Just follow the pavilion. Follow the sound of the music. You can park on you know you can park on Portage Avenue. Walk across. Find parking in the park or, or take the bus, ride your bike. Lots of ways to get to uh, the beautiful, the irreplaceable Assiniboine Park. Andre Lewis, thank you for this as always. It's a pleasure. 914. Once again, Jonas Brothers coming to Winnipeg. That's the concert announcement we had for you just a few minutes ago. Tickets go on sale via Ticketmaster. Thursday, August 3rd, but you do have to go to Ticketmaster, verify your account. In the meantime, you have until 9 p.m. Monday to do that, and then you can get in on the early sales next Thursday at 10 a.m. Tickets officially on sale August 4th at 10 a.m. And if you don't believe me, this is a big deal. If you've got if you've got kids ranging from the age of about 15 to, to 30, this is a big deal. Big show coming to Winnipeg. We asked you to give an honest answer to the question, do you sleep in the same bed as your partner? Or for a better sleep, do you get your Z's in a different room? We asked that question expecting some of you wouldn't want to give an honest answer because, you know, there's been for a while a perceived stigma of sleeping separately. But studies just this week out of the States show, this month out of the States show that, you know, a growing number, especially in the younger age category, are just choosing to maybe not every day but fairly often sleep in a different room from their partner. And right away we had Cheryl texting to say it's been a game changer for them. Mike said the same. Alicia talked about the fact that, you know, that between hot flashes and snoring and all the rest, um, she's now a much happier person because she's chosen to move to a different bed or perhaps it's the partner. So is there any science behind this or is this just common sense or is it not for you? Dr. Wendy Troxell is a senior scientist with the Rand Corporation and author of the book, Sharing the Covers, Every Couple's Guide to Better Sleep. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for taking the time to discuss this because I think it's it's not a debate in every household, but it probably comes up in most. What have we learned over the years about best sleep habits when it comes to you know, the marriage bed. Yes, well, it's a topic that's near and dear to my heart, and I've been studying for over 20 years uh, with the culmination of my book. Uh, You know, it is a topic that many couples do debate over, but also many couples don't even have the debate, and that's one of the purposes of the book, to start raising this to the level of conversation for couples to start talking about what's working and what's not working in the bedroom when it comes to their sleep. We have this automatic assumption that couples, just by virtue of being in love with each other, should be automatically compatible both day and night. And what we're missing here is the really important issue that sleep, good quality sleep, is not only vital for our own individual health and functioning, but also for our relationship health. 
So couples really need to start elevating this to a conversation and having open and honest dialogue about, you know, how they're sleeping together. Are there strategies that they want to try to improve their sleep quality? Again, with the goal of optimizing their sleep quality so they can benefit their own individual health as well as their relationship health. So Dr. Troxel, I've mentioned uh, this morning, and it's something that my wife and I have, uh, well, I joke about it. I think she's serious. And it's something that's becoming, uh, at least in this article that I'm reading here on tollbrothers.com from last August, it's the hottest feature in, uh, it's the hottest new amenity in luxury homes. And that's the idea of dual primary suites. Exactly. Yeah. In custom homes, um, this was reported actually a number of years ago initially by um, the National Home Builders Association showing this rising trend in dual main bedrooms. And again, this reflects sort of the growing um, desire, at least among um, those who can afford it, to have separate quarters. Uh, you know, we think of the Victorian era with separate bedrooms for those who could afford it. We're seeing this as a rising trend, even those who can't afford to have actual dual main bedrooms. We do see some couples, at least some of the time, choosing to sleep in a separate bedroom. Maybe it's a guest bedroom. And that was reflected in this recent um, survey out of the States showing that about a third of couples, or at least some of the time, choosing to sleep apart. One of our listeners texted earlier to say that they loved it. And another one talked about, I wouldn't even know how to bring that up to my partner because right. of the perceived response of, well, you don't want to sleep, you know? So where right. you, you keep saying, talk about it. How do we start that? Right, right. There's the concern that, oh my gosh, this will be perceived as an abandonment or rejection, or I don't want to be with you. And it doesn't have to be that at all. And again, that's really one of the purposes of my book uh, to help guide couples through this conversation. And let me just say, sleeping apart is not for e- everyone or every couple. And that's really a main message that we need to stop thinking that there's a one-size-fits-all sleeping strategy for all couples. But couples really should start collectively thinking about that one-third of our lives we spend asleep and really strategizing together, okay, what can we do to optimize our sleep quality? Is what we're doing currently working? And if not, approaching it in a way that is not going to make one partner feel defensive or abandoned or hurt. And unfortunately, when you don't have those kind of intentional and proactive conversations, what often happens is uh, for some couples, let's say there's snoring or one partner tosses and turns um, or there's differences in temperature preferences, like when a woman is having hot flashes, uh, what may, may end up happening is if it's not discussed in an open and honest dialogue, one partner might just, you know, ultimately out of desperation and frustration, just stomp out of the bedroom and go to the other room with no conversation at all. And that's really where we can see some resentment and hurt building. But if you can have a proactive, open and honest dialogue um, that, you know, honestly, honey, I'm just not sleeping very well. And when I don't sleep well, I can't be as good a partner to you. That's a great way to sort of couch um, the discussion that is truly a pro-relationship behavior to discuss if things are working or not working uh, when it comes to the sleeping strategy, Um, that it's really about uh, doing things that are going to maximize the quality of the relationship and being well slept is a great strategy to do so. The book is sharing the covers, Every Couple's Guide to Better Sleep, our guest, Dr. Wendy Troxell. And, and doctor, when we have these conversations, the terminology came up 
a couple of different mm-hmm. times, sleep divorce. And when we mentioned it on the air, one of our listeners said, hey, hey, don't call it that because it's going to give it a negative connotation. I think there is a negative connotation toward the idea, at least at first blush, about not sleeping in the same bed. Maybe not calling it sleep divorce might be a good way to quote unquote market this idea, but just talk about the lack of understanding that most of us have With regard to sleep, how important it is in our lives for us to be better people, better people in our relationships and the detriment that is created when we don't get sufficient sleep. Absolutely. And I totally agree. You'll notice that I don't use the term sleep divorce because it does have this strong negative connotation, especially when it comes to relationships. I like to encourage couples to talk about having a sleep alliance to come to the strategy that's going to work best for them to maximize their quality of sleep because to answer your second question, sleep is so vitally important for literally every aspect of our own individual health and functioning from our mental health to our physical health, including our risk for heart disease or even Alzheimer's disease and cognitive decline. But it's also vitally important for our relationship health. And this is another topic I go into great detail in my book from the research that's been conducted over the past 20 years demonstrating that when we're not getting the sleep we need, our communication skills suffer, we're more prone to conflict, our empathy skills suffer, so you're less able to read your partner's emotions, you're more prone to depression, anxiety, um, all of which can really be toxic in the context of a relationship. So again, maximizing your sleep health is not only good for optimizing your own individual health and well-being, but it's really one of the cornerstone activities you can do to support your relationship health. Before we let you go, we just have about a minute here, but you know, there's the conversations that might take place about, okay, we need to do this separately, or maybe there's technology out there or just little strategies that we haven't thought of. You know, like it's been, those beds have been around for years that have the different temperatures in them, or they can raise and lower on one side and not the other. There's cooling pillows. People might use different blankets, even earbuds and whatnot. Like if it's, it could be just a small thing. It doesn't have to necessarily be a major change. Absolutely. And really, you know, the solution depends on the problem, as with all things. You know, the the topic of sleeping apart um, gets a lot of media attention, but that's not the solution for every couple. And like I say, there's not a one-size-fits-all strategy for all couples. It really depends on the nature of the problem. Let's say you have different um, temperature preferences at at night. There are individual bedding options um, and, you know, mattress pads that allow for differences in heating and cooling. There's even the Scandinavian method, which involves two twin beds, which are put together, actually equal a king. So if you're a couple that has differences in just your comfort or mattress preferences, that's a great way to have the appearance of a single bed or a a shared bed, uh, but for you to each have your individual individualized preferences um, met. So there's lots of strategies. And, you know, so, you know, this is by no means to say that sleeping apart is the solution for every couple just as much as it's not to say that sleeping together is the only strategy for a healthy relationship. We really need to move beyond these sort of all or nothing attitudes that there's one sleeping strategy that's going to work for all couples. Rather, first identify the problem. And by the way, if there's a sleep disorder in one or both partners at play, the real important thing to do is make sure that your partner um, or your, your yourself um, gets um, seeks medical treatment. For instance, if snoring um, is, is a big issue, that might be a sign of a significant sleep disorder that needs treatment 
just as much as you might need to consider um, different sleeping strategies to support um, the sleep of both partners. But really identify the problem first, then talk about the multiple, multitude of solutions that are there for you as a couple and do it in a way that's not making one partner feel demeaned or criticized or blamed, but really what can we do together to maximize our sleep quality so that we can be better partners to each other. Dr. Wendy Troxell, Senior Scientist, RAND Corporation, and author, sharing the covers, Every Couple's Guide to Better Sleep. Dr. Troxell, we'll, we'll speak again, I hope. I hope so, too. Thanks so much for some great questions. 